Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Our topic this week is hell. Yes, pun intended. And unfortunately, it is a rather controversial place to discuss, and I believe in many cases far more so than discussing heaven. I always find it interesting that nearly every time I speak on hell with a group, the room often gets very quiet. People get quite uncomfortable, and when referencing hell, describe it as, quote, down there, or just point down to the ground, or describe it as a place where bad people go. Interestingly enough, I have only met a few people who have at least stated that they believe they would be going to hell for what they have done in life and believe they did not deserve better. But that is few and far between. Most people, on the other hand, sincerely believe they are plenty good overall and that they will be going to heaven or, quote, a better place or up there with the big guy. And I am blending heaven into this conversation just a bit because that will be where we go next week, heaven. But let's first get through hell. So let's work our way from the bottom up and examine hell and its existence according to God's word. And we're going to go through a number of passages throughout God's word in order to get a good and full understanding of what it is we are to know and recognize. And we will begin our journey from our current state of decision-making to our final state of destruction if we do not ultimately make the right decision. Psalm 145.20 states, The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Now we see clearly that there are two camps in the eyes of God, one camp for those who love him and the other camp for those who do not. We also see clearly from this passage that those who love him will be preserved and those who do not will be destroyed. And I think this is a great place to go to the dictionary and to take a look at these two words, preserve and destroy. The dictionary states of preserve to keep safe from harm or destruction, to protect, keep alive, intact, and free from decay. And the definition of destroy states to ruin the structure, existence, or condition of, to ruin as if by tearing to shreds. So let's reread Psalm 145.20 with these definitions in mind. The Lord keeps safe from harm, destruction, and protects, keeping alive and intact and free from decay, those who love him. But for all the wicked, he will ruin their structure, existence, and condition, as though tearing them to shreds. That is quite the statement from God's word, and I believe a very clear picture of the two camps and their outcome. Yet God does not choose which camp you are in. You get to decide which camp you are in. You can either choose camp preservation or camp destruction. And both camps have plenty of space for your stay. To bring it closer to home, you can either settle down in Death Valley, California, or Kauai, Hawaii. But it's all your decision and what trip you take. Keep in mind, there is a travel agent representing both destinations, and so I would highly recommend doing your homework as to your final destination. And so the reason I am starting us off here is because we first have to see what takes place with the decisions we make while we are here on earth and very much alive and the outcome of those choices according to God. How about one more example from Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what happens to those who have determined to deny God for exactly who he says he is in the present life? and willingly accept an eternity of destruction in the next life as described in God's word. 
Let's take a look. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. They, that would be anyone who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and does not believe the testimony of his words. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. We see from this passage a very unique insertion well outside of our earlier dictionary definitions and that of eternal destruction. And I find the word eternal to be very incredibly fascinating as it answers a big question from our previous passage from Psalm 145 and the dictionary definition from that. As we perceive and ultimately know, when something is destroyed, it is just that. It's gone, no more, was put out of its misery. If once alive, it can no longer suffer or feel pain of any kind. It is the end. It is done. And the most effective way to really destroy something is by fire. Yes, even today, fire is still the best and most efficient way to truly destroy something. Fire destroys evidence, the past. It can permanently erase things. Fire is hungry, hungry for the things to consume for its success and growth. And to me, that sounds like the way of Satan himself. However, this passage in 2 Thessalonians makes it clear that this particular destruction in hell will be continuous. Let's take a quick look at the definition of continuous. And the dictionary says, without interruption of the course or action, to remain in existence, to keep going. Think about that. Let's reread this passage again with that in mind. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer their punishment of destruction without interruption, the course of which will not be changed, and the current action of this destruction will not stop and will remain in existence and keep going. How? How is it possible to keep being destroyed? And I would like to propose a thought that we as humans do not need to be physically destroyed to be destroyed. Don't forget, there is emotional and mental destruction and devastation. One can be quite physically fine, but the torment of emotional pain can be so destructive, it can lead to the desire of not even wanting to exist. And from there, so many attempt to end the continued devastation and the endless torture of emotional and mental destruction by taking their life and putting an end to what would not stop otherwise. And this is impossible to understand if you have never been in that spot. But it is indeed very real, very painful, and very destructive, and death is the only way out for so many. So we see in our scripture, and based on my example, that torture can be very eternal and without end if we are hindered by taking action against it. And so God says there will be no way out, absolutely nothing you can do about it, and the course of this destruction will never change. No meds, no counselors, no taking your own life for relief. It's all yours forever. This time you can't run away. This time there is no hope of finding anyone to comfort you. But what exactly will this unstoppable mental destruction and torment be caused by? Let's go back to the final sentence of 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They, again, anyone who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and believes the testimony of his words, will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. And here's our final sentence of that verse away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And that will be the eternal torment and endless destruction of the emotional existence. Knowing fully that God was indeed who he claimed to be and living with the knowledge of eternity that you will never experience peace or ever be able to experience God all while remembering how many times you heard about his existence while you were alive on this earth. 
And we're going to read a passage of scripture in just a few minutes that will make this come very much to life. But this is only part of the suffering, as there will also be the physical suffering, and this only to compound the mental and emotional anguish. As many of us know, when we are down or depressed or stressed, it is very hard and can and often does come with physical problems on its own. Stress, worry, and depression can cause so many things to go physically wrong with our body. Stomach problems, muscle problems, cognitive problems, hormonal problems, and the list goes on. So we see now that the emotional and mental state of those God separates from himself would likely also be living with the physical ramifications of the emotional anguish and highly magnified far beyond anything you have ever experienced on this earth. But God says it will go even further than that in the aspect of physical pain. On top of what we have just discussed, there will be some heat added to the mix, and that of intense fire that will be raging without end, day and night. So how will all this get sorted out in the end? What does the process look like of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Let's take a look in Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, we get a very vivid word picture painted for us. God is using an example of fishing, and everyone understands this analogy to this day, even if you've never gone fishing. This is clear. Keep the good, discard the bad. Why you do this with the produce from the store you get. Take out the yellowing leaves and cut off the dead parts and preserve the good. We do this with flowers. Keep the good and the pretty ones and toss the bad ones. It is exactly how we edit writing. You take out the useless words and only keep the useful and good words. Another example of sorting us out comes from Revelation 20:15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And further on in Revelation 21:8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I think here it is very important to clarify that many fear and anguish over reading this passage. In essence, if you are a coward, have committed murder, sin sexually, have idols in your life and you lie, that you are doomed to hell. And that is not the case at all. And unfortunately, these types of passages are all too often misrepresented as it only applies to people who are really bad, which is naturally no one we would hang out with and certainly would never pertain to us. Or, on the other hand, it is presented as, if you have ever done or do any of these things, you have lost your salvation. And anyone who would suggest this is the chief hypocrite among us and is wallowing in fraud. Don't forget, we were all conceived in sin, we were all born into sin, and we all keep sinning, all kinds of sin, hideous sin, all of us. Salvation does not stop us from sinning, and too many people are fed those ungodly lies that if you are saved, you won't do wrong. And that is wrong. It is wrong because if indeed you stopped sinning, you would be perfect. And if you were perfect and walking on this planet, you have put yourself at the same level as God. 
After all, Jesus said himself, there is no one, absolutely no one who is good, but only the Father in heaven. It is only God who is good. If you wish for more detailed discussion on security and salvation, please visit the Face Your Faith podcast library and listen to Can You Lose Your Salvation? and Are You Saved?, which can be found on our website at faceyourfaith.com. But let's keep going and read another passage as God continues to sort everyone out. And this from Matthew 25, 41. Jesus says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. On to Jude 1:7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. Moving down the line, Matthew 23, 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And one more very compelling passage that would make many sit up, or should make many sit up and take notice. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In other words, don't think, guess, suppose, or assume you are in right standing with God. This is something you must know. Know because you know, not because someone told you, not because you are embarrassed or because it is just what you believe is expected of you in the circles you associate with. And up to this point, we have covered the setting of hell, which is described as a place that is a lake of fire and sulfur, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and a place of eternal destruction without the possibility of parole or pardon from it. And this should paint a fairly vivid picture in our mind of what we can only imagine would be our existence. But does God's word by chance mention anything in specific? Someone who got to report firsthand from hell and on the conditions of the place? And the answer to that is yes. Interestingly enough, there are so many stories about moments in heaven, but few people report going into hell. Hmm. Could it be that they don't want to be found out that they went down there? After all, if you did die and spent a few minutes in hell, that would mean you were a pretty bad person. So then, spending a supposed few minutes in heaven is much more appealing to the one writing it. But our next encounter in God's Word is from a man who went to hell but didn't get back out and couldn't profit off his story. Because once you are there, and just like heaven, you aren't coming back to hang out with the earthlings again. Let's read Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, 
while Lazarus received bad things. But now Lazarus is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said to the rich man, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What a cosmic conversation, and it is quite the account from hell and heaven and the specific results of our individual decisions. Talk about a long-distance, real-time, full-color, 3D HD experience. This conversation was so far apart, but yet so close, so real, so vivid. But what more can really be said? Nothing can be added to these very straightforward words. This guy was in agony, excruciating agony. So we will just summarize this. You will either have it pretty good in this life and brutal in the next for eternity, or you will have it rough in this life and have it perfect in the next for eternity. Remember, it's all up to you, and not even God will twist your arm to keep you from your potentially detrimental decision. Let's pray. Merciful Father, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Lord, your kingdom will come. Your will, it will be done. Here on this earth, and just as it is currently being done in heaven. For yours, Father, is the kingdom and the power and the glory that will live on for eternity. Continue to pursue those who have seen you and know you, to never give up on those who are blind, that we may encourage and help them to see, and that we would be diligent in looking for those who are lost, that they might find true salvation in you. Encourage us to know exactly where we stand with you, understanding plainly that we are either for you or against you. Help everyone who is listening to this today to hear and listen to your words of truth and guidance. Help us to think deeply on our clear warnings on the reality of hell and the reality and permanency of eternal destruction. Father, we ask that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil as we humbly seek you in all things good and right. We now ask this in the name of our Lord and merciful Savior, Jesus Christ.